If you have your Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 5. We've got one more week left of Empire. Then um, we've got a very good friend of mine, um, Thomas Finley, is going to be preaching the week after me. And I'm excited about Thomas. He'll be a uh, it's been a while since we've had a brand new voice in the pulpit, and uh, Thomas is, he'll bring the funk in a couple weeks. And then the week after that, before we start Ephesians, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a message entitled My Brother's Keeper, and in the midst of a lot of political turmoil, um, a lot of, uh, honestly, a lot of backbiting, a lot of just nastiness that I've just seen, um, whether it's social media or in just um, settings of being in person. Um, I, I want to be able to, to address the political climate about, uh, in terms of us as a church and us as a body of Christ. Well, I want to talk about unity, and we're going to call the message uh, My Brother's Keeper. So that will be coming up in October. Then we are hitting Ephesians, and then Ephesians takes us into Christmas, and then Christmas into the New Year, to the Vision Series, and then it's Easter. So <laughs> welcome to how my brain works. Goodness gracious. Hey, I need drama mean when you talk to me about uh, where we're headed here because I am all over the place. Daniel chapter 5 uh, is where we're going to rest today. Um, my family and I took vacation. Uh, if there's any place that you should take a vacation sometime in your life, you need to take a vacation in Michigan. You need to go up north because uh, if you've never been up north, um, then you are a troll. And you're just living beneath the bridge. So you do need to get up north. And we stayed at my cousin's Airbnb just literally 10 minutes below the Mackinac Bridge, or as I used to say as a kid, the Mackinac Bridge. And uh, we stayed there and did day trips. We did uh, Lake Huron, Lake Michigan. We went up to Lake Superior. We went to see pictured rocks. We went to the Sulox and watched, like, Boats come in, ginormous things come in and go down and go through. It's quite an amazing experience. And, uh, but at our Airbnb, we actually stayed on a lake. I've never stayed on a lake before, and I got to kayak for the first time in my life. 44, never kayaked, and I will admit, and I'll save it for another day, I had a very traumatic canoe experience um, that I, I almost lost my life on, and so I just have been ignored canoes and uh, other dangerous equipment like that. Uh, I rock climb, but I avoid canoes. Don't get me going on that. That's a weird little thing. Uh, but as I'm out in the kayak, I had noticed before, uh, day one of our vacation, I was doing my devotions out on the back deck, and there was an eagle above me. And so we just kind of lived with this eagle. And I'm um, like, eagle powers, come to me. So if you've never seen Nacho Libre, I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I've seen this eagle throughout the week, and as I'm paddling back toward our Airbnb, I, all of a sudden, at the corner of my eye, I just saw something coming in a direct line, and I looked, and it was the eagle coming down, talons bared, hitting the water, and then flapped up with nothing in its claws. And I still sat back. Some of you are bummed for the eagle right now. I can sense the disappointment on behalf of the eagle. It, I, I, he's doing okay, all right? Um, but I, I thought it was like one of the most majestic things I may have ever witnessed in person. Just the sheer power of this eagle. Like, some of you are getting real spiritual. They that wait upon the Lord. All right. Um, it's an old 80s song. It's just amazing. But it brought to my mind one of my favorite authors. Eugene Peterson is by far one of my favorite authors, theologians, uh, just humans of all time. Uh, he's written a number of books. In fact, some of you have read uh, one of his Bible translations called The Message. He is just a tremendous, tremendous man. And uh, when he passed, that, that hit me hard just because numbers of his writings shaped me. 
And I remember he tells a story about a kingfisher, which is a bird, if you don't know. And a kingfisher will actually dive down 30, up to 37 times before it actually gets a fish. And what Eugene would say is he's, he's like, most of us give up at one or two tries. But if something called a kingfisher, which is like, you know, king of fishing, it's really good at it. If it's really good and it takes it 37 times, how often should we be constantly moving forward, being faithful, and doing that which God calls us to do? In fact, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Walk in the Same Direction. You should read it. It is tremendous. It, I think it's the best definition of the word patience. It's a long walk in the same direction. Let me tell you this. If there's anything that can title Jerry Johnson's autobiography or biography, it would be a long walk in the same direction. It is somebody that has served God faithfully over and over and over and over. And quite often, we put so much emphasis on the immediate, or we put so much emphasis on that which we can get right away way, and we forget that God honors faithfulness more than anything. And I believe this, I truly believe this, that we overemphasize, we overemphasize what we can do one and two years into the future, and we underemphasize what God can do in 10 and 20 years. We overemphasize what you and I can accomplish in one to two years, and we underemphasize that which God can do in 10 to 20 years. What does this have to do with Daniel? Everything. Look at that. I meant all of that. What does that mean for Daniel? It's everything. Because Daniel is the living embodiment of that which Eugene Peterson talked about a long walk in the same direction, and I believe, well, we've got these amazing men, Kurt, James, and Jerry really lived a long walk in the same direction, being faithful, because an empire mindset celebrates people's 15 minutes of fame. That's what the empire celebrates. What does the kingdom celebrate? A lifetime of faithfulness. I mean, we could celebrate the quick fixes. We could celebrate the, the quick little quirks. Instead of celebrating a great message, we celebrate great tweets. We, 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 ce we celebrate a simple little statement because in our minds, if somebody just makes a statement about something, it makes everything better. But listen, we can make statements all we want, and, and statements are great. Statements are wonderful. But don't tell me what you think in the moment. Show me how you are living because your life will be the greatest message that will far last the tweet that you have ever sent out. It's a long walk in the same direction. Don't tweet about what you think about racism. Show me with your life what you think about racism. Don't tell me, don't tweet to me about your politics. Live it out and show me how Jesus would have, would have lived that out. Show it to me. Give me the long walk in the same direction. Why is this about Daniel 5? Because what we have, Daniel chapter 1, just a few chapters earlier, Daniel is approximately, and he's anywhere from, theologians have argued, 13 to 17 years old. He is taken away from his family. He is taken away from his own people. He is taken away from everything that he has known. And he is taken as a slave to Babylon. And then Babylon, they are going to take this young teenager and they're going to mold him and shape him into what they think he should be. They change his name in order to mock his God. They change his focus in order to mock his upbringing. They want to, they want to mold him into who they think they are. But he will not bend to the empire. He will only bend his knee to the Lord and Savior that he knows. 
That was chapter 1. We're only in chapter 5, and Daniel's 80 years old. This is why when you read Scripture, some of us are... Some of us are wondering why God has ignored us because we prayed about it and we're only a couple verses later not realizing that when we read in Scripture, sometimes God, sometimes God has a plan that is not your plan. Some of you need to get that deep down in your bones this morning, that your plans are not God's plans, that God has a bigger picture in mind. God has an end of the story in mind. Don't lose your focus on the end of the story because God isn't done. And so Daniel is 80. And we find ourselves with a different king. Daniel discovered we'll live through four kings. Let me say this. Administrations come and administrations go, but somebody still sits on the throne that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't lose faith in the end of the story. So verse 1. Many years later, Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. Let me stop right here. Um, Belshazzar, for a while, was evidenced by skeptics that the Bible wasn't accurate because they could not find the name of Belshazzar. And so it was in 1854 that Sir Henry Rawlinson discovered and deciphered an ancient form that names Belshazzar as the oldest son of King Nabondus. Don't make me say that a second time. And him and King Nabondus co-led the kingdom of Babylon at this time. Why is that important? Well, number one, when he discovered the name Belshazzar, it confirmed that Daniel chapter 5 was, was accurate and correct. But if you look in Daniel chapter 5, verse 29, when Daniel walks through the situation and succeeds, it makes him the third ruler over, over Babylon. Why is that important? Because that's the details that that we're trying to help you understand here, that we've got Belshazzar, his father, and then all of a sudden, number three is Daniel. It's why in Daniel 5, 29, that Daniel is labeled as the third. I don't know if you remember a year ago when we preached about uh, Joseph, when Pharaoh made Joseph the second in command over all of Egypt, just underneath him. Why wasn't Daniel second in command? Because there were two other kings. So, little detail there. You're welcome, history buffs. But we've got this absolute diva, absolute diva of a king and he is throwing a party and it says this and this is important he is drinking wine with him and while Belshazzar was drinking the wine we're going to stop right there uh, we've got weird protocol going on because in this culture kings did not drink publicly they drank privately they never wanted to be inebriated or see them, put themselves in a compromising position to be less than any of the people around them. And so we've already gotten protocol being broke. And it says that he gave orders to bring the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And he wanted to drink from them with his nobles and his wives and his concubines. And so they brought up these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the kings and the nobles, his wives and the concubines, drank from them. And while they drank, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Stop right there. This dude is not just, he's just not getting into this place of just drinking his brains out. He's not just getting drunk. But he is identifying the things that were taken from the temple that were to, were to be used for worship and worship alone. We read about that in Daniel 1. He is using that to help worship his own gods and to honor himself. So we have got 
idolatry that's taken place. We got drunkenness that's taken place. We've got an absolute mess. And this guy himself, he thinks he is absolutely invincible. How do we know that? He is drinking in public and he is using the things that were dedicated toward God to help honor himself and to honor his own gods. He thinks he's absolutely invincible. And if you know history well enough, you'll know this, that while this is going on, the Mede-Persians are actually getting ready to attack his city. History will tell you that they wanted to come and conquer Babylon, and they had a way to conquer it because this seemed like the most fortified city with the type of walls and the type of things that were set up. In fact, if you surrounded the city, the city could keep on living because the amount of supplies within the city. And the Euphrates River actually ran underneath the wall, so they had water supply. They could be surrounded and still continue to live. But this is where the Mede-Persians came in, and far up beyond, they began to dig out the river and diverted the entire river to go a different direction so they can go underneath the wall. This is all that was happening on that night. Yeah, history buffs, you guys, you guys are loving me this morning. Everybody else, you take it a little bit of a nap. So, Belshazzar, he's drunk, he's plastered, out of his mind, and begins to make decisions. Go get those temple things. Here's, here's a little key to anybody listening. Never make decisions while you're meted up, while you're drunk. I remember one time I was on back meds. I had torn a muscle in my back. And I came and I conducted a staff meeting here at the church. And I remember my wife picked me up and she's like, so how's staff meeting go? I said, I don't know. I think I decided stuff today. And she's like, what did you decide? I'm like, I, I'm not sure. Oh, I'll find out later. And then when I came back, the walls at the back of the platform were all black. And I'm like... Yeah, Kurt laughed. I'm like, because they all knew Dave's high as a kite right now on back meds. Whatever he says, we're doing it, and he's the one to blame. <laughs> Welcome to Belshazzar, making decisions. Why? Because he is so intoxicated with the moment. And how often are we so intoxicated in the here and now? We're so intoxicated in the thing that we're facing in the immediate. My word to you this morning is don't lose faith in the end of the story. Some of us can get so intoxicated with the painful moment. We can get so intoxicated with this political process. We get so intoxicated with what people are saying about us on Facebook. We get so intoxicated with comparing our lives with somebody else, not recognizing there is more to the story than the moment. Don't lose faith at the end of the moment. It is a long, long, obedient walk in the same direction. And then while this is going on, verse 5, suddenly. You know what the word suddenly means in the Hebrew? Suddenly. That's it. They saw the fingers of a human hand writing in the plaster of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave away beneath him. This dude sobered up quicker than a black cup of coffee can do it. And the king shouted for his enchanters and astrologers and fortune tellers to be brought before him. And he said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes royal, of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But when all of the king's wise men come together, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed, and his face turned pale, and his nobles too were shaken. But 
When the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall and she said to Belshazzar, long live the king, don't be so pale and frightened. There is a man in the kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. And during Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Look at that verse, verse 12. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Do we not need this anointing today upon the body of Christ? Do we not need the spirit of God's anointing upon us to be Daniels in the midst of an empire instead of just recognizing and complaining about what we see? God, give us a people full of the spirit of God that can rise up and that can begin to explain that can begin to solve, that can begin to interpret, that instead of getting caught up in the fuss of what we see, we are told in the New Testament that when you see the calamity, lift up your eyes. See the redemption that draws close. That we've got to see the end of the story. We've got to know the one that holds tomorrow in his hands. And let us be better than just recognizing the calamity. Let us be a people that call upon the name of the Lord that can interpret and speak. And call out the people, letting them know what the Lord is, who he is, and what he's trying to do here and now. We need the anointing of a Daniel. And so my only two points today, I've got a two-point sermon today, which means it should be short. We'll see. My two main points is simply this, is number one, we need to have a prophetic voice, and then number two, we need to heed a prophetic voice. We need to have a prophetic voice, we need to heed a prophetic voice. First of all, we need to have the voice of a prophet. There is a, a phenomenal man named George Washington Carver, and he ranks as one of the greatest scientific minds I think our nation has ever known. Around the 20th century, the agricultural economy of the South was suffering. Uh, there was something called the boll weevil that was coming in and it was devastating farms and lands. The soil was not, it wasn't just the, the crops were being eaten up, but the soil was getting depleted of all of its nutrients. And it was George Washington Carver who introduced the idea of crop rotation. So if you've ever heard of crop rotation, it's because of George Washington Carver. He encouraged farmers to plant peanuts and, and it revived the soil, but the farmers were frustrated because there wasn't at that time a market for peanuts. And so after encouraging them, they got upset and they began to complain. And so this is what George Washington Carver did, is he went on a prayer walk. He didn't tweet about it. He didn't blog about it. He didn't get passive aggressive on Facebook. Some farmers I know are complaining. He literally went for a prayer walk for which he would get up early in the morning, about four o'clock in the morning. I'll be honest, I do not get up at four o'clock in the morning to pray. You might think that about your pastor. I don't wake up that early. I don't think Jesus is awake yet. So, just me. He gets up at four and he would walk through the woods and he asked God to reveal the mystery of the peanut. Some of us are so busy complaining about things, we've yet to pray about them. And so he gets up and he prays about the peanut. 
And it's almost like the same of an anointing because he would begin to interpret nature. And it's there that as he's praying, and he would say in some of his archives and some of his own, some of the articles written, they say he would begin to listen to the peanut. He's not nuts. He's not crazy. But it was his way of describing, God, I'm going to listen. I want to listen for what you're speaking into me. I want to listen for what you are speaking over me. And that would explain for him molecular riddles, and he would begin to solve biochemical problems. And on January 20th, 1921, George Washington Carver testified before the House of Ways and Means Committee on behalf of the United Peanut Association of America. And this is awesome. The chairman says you've got 10 minutes. He talked for an hour and 40 minutes, telling how the peanut could be used. And when he was done, they said, you can come back any time. They were mesmerized as he demonstrated dozens of uses for the ordinary peanut, everything from glue to shaving cream to soap to insecticide to cosmetics and linoleum. And he said this, I love to think nature as wireless, a wireless telegraph station through which God speaks to us every day every hour, and every moment of our lives. And anything will give up its secrets, get this, if you love it enough. Perhaps if we would stop yelling at people, being bitter at people, perhaps if we started listening, perhaps if we started loving people enough, we would begin to hear the secrets of what's driving their hearts. Imagine if we stopped squawking about the issues of our nation and started listening to the people that are hurting and loving them right where they're at, that we would begin to see the same spirit that drove George Washington Carver beginning to drive us to do more than be problem fixers, but begin to bring solutions to the people around us. See, anybody can voice complaints, but your voices were never meant to blend into the world around us. Your voices were meant to be a prophetic presence in the face of chaos. I need you to write that down. Your voice was never meant to blend in. Your voice was just never meant to be just another voice. I believe that God is raising up a generation of Daniels that will rise up with a prophetic spirit upon their heart, ready to give a thus saith the Lord, ready to give an encouraging word, ready to see something that is stumping everybody. We don't know what to do with this. Well, you know what? We're going to pray. And as we pray, we believe that God is going to give us the revelation. Because if we would truly love people enough, God will give us the revelation of what to say and what to do and what to be. God, raise up a Daniel generation. Raise up people ready to speak truth. Raise up people ready to speak in a place of chaos. This is what I want to see. Some of you this, this week, I would challenge you. I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Why? Because what you're going to read is what we call the gifts of the Spirit of God. And it is my prayer that we would see, honestly, not more gifts used in a service. That's 1% of our week. We spend 99% of our week outside of this building and outside of this uh, Facebook Live. My prayer is this, is that when we begin to read through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, that we will get a hold of what God did in the early church and then we would say God if you're the same yesterday today and forever you can do it all over again and so that what you have for them God give to me that God would raise up prophets in the midst of our nation ready to be a voice in the wilderness for those Belshazzars that don't know how to interpret the times they don't know what to do and they're sitting in fear pale wondering where is life where is victory going to actually come from we need Daniels to rise up prophetic voices in the midst of an empire. And in fact, the title of my message today is called Prophetic Solutionaries. 
Prophetic solutionaries. Somebody stopped me this morning, asked me if I made up another word. I make up a ton of words. You're welcome. I've got somebody in the church that actually keeps track of all the words I make up on the inside of their Bible. I find that really, really funny. But the word solutionaries, I actually got that word from a paper, a psychology paper, and it talked about the difference between a problem solver and a solutionary. See, a problem solver, it's like a problem solver will walk up to an apple tree, and if it saw a rotten apple, it would just pick off the apple problem solved. But a solutionary is motivated by compassion and justice, and it's driven to cultivate a creative, critical, strategic, and system-thinking skill in order to not deal with a problem but in a compassionate, creative way, deal with the underlying solution, the issue at hand. God hasn't called us to be problem solvers. We're always going to have problems. Do you know why? You're human. And all of you, you're a mess. I'm a mess. And we're not called to simply solve a problem. We're called to be solutionaries. That we move in compassion. We move in creativity. And honestly, we move in the spirit of God to be prophets in the midst of an empire ready to give a thus says the Lord. We need a spirit of Daniel, the willingness to prophesy through the culture. What does the word prophecy mean? I'm glad you asked me that question. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their three things, strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Look at those three. The strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Some of us think of prophets as the one that just gets up and yells at the person that's in charge. Can I tell you, that's easy. Easy to tweet at them from a distance. It's easy to say something from a distance. It's easy to yell at somebody's face and to walk away, but to be a prophet who speaks with strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. What do these three mean in, in the Greek language? The word strengthening is an architectural term. It means laying the foundation, framing the walls, and building others up. We also get the word edification. In other words, when you strengthen, you are building up the other person. You're thinking of them with their best interest in mind. And a prophet has something that is being spoken that is always, always life-giving. If you're prophesying and there's no life-giving spirit about it, I think we've missed the boat. Secondly, it's encouraging. The word there in the Greek language is paraklesis, which is very close to the word that Jesus would have used for the Holy Spirit which is the word paraclete. The word paraclesis is actually a military formation. And it meant two soldiers standing back to back. See, prophecy can be pointing out blind spots, but it also is protecting the blind side of people. We can strengthen people, but we're called to encourage. What is encouraging? It is protecting people's blind spots. And sometimes it's speaking to somebody about a blind spot that they may not see. But because you've done it in a strengthening way, you've done it in an edifying way, they're not going to see it as criticism. They're going to see it not as somebody speaking down to them. It's going to see it as somebody that's willing to say, I'm going to stand back to back with you. I've got your back. And we can't be the church that attacks each other. That's what the devil wants. We've got to be the church that strengthens each other, that encourages each other. We're saying that we are back to back and we're in this thing together. And then thirdly, a prophet comforts, which means they speak tenderly and gently. Is there any time more than ever that we needed to fix our tone? I thought I might get more than one amen on that one. Some of us, 
The reason why your message can't be heard is because your tone stinks. And God restore the tone. I believe in speaking truth to power. I have no problem with it, but I will say this. Nobody ever wins a shouting match. Proverbs 15, 31, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And now, honestly, when I think of prophecy, with how I grew up in understanding Scripture, prophecy was always about confrontation. But I would say the ultimate goal of prophecy is not necessarily confrontation. The goal of prophecy is consolation. It is comfort. Read the Old Testament prophets, the minor and the major prophets. And Daniel, honestly, he's recognized as a prophet. The book of Daniel actually has a different distinction. We don't have time for that. But even with the, read through the, some of the very harsh, insane prophecies, the goal of the prophecies was never to destroy Israel. It was to warn them. It was to call them back to God. Say, give up your idolatry. Come back to the comfort of your Savior. Come back to the place where you belong with the Lord. And where we're at right now with COVID unrest, politics, being disconnected. I mean, get this. The Census Bureau says that one-third of all of Americans are suffering from clinical depression or, or an age of anxiety disorder. 71% are angry. 71, I think it's kind of low right now. 66% of Americans are fearful. We have an issue right now. And I word to every single one of them and every single one of us, and the message that we have to get out as prophets in the midst of an empire is, do not lose faith in the end of the story because God's with you and God's got you. God, raise up Daniels, prophetic solutionaries, that could do more than identify what's wrong. God, give us a word that speaks to the church, says God's got you, he is with you. Don't lose faith in the end of the story. We'll talk about this in a few weeks, but I'm just telling you what, the world will not end on November 3rd. Because it doesn't matter who's in the White House, what matters is on the throne. Yes, I do believe it matters to vote. I do, don't, no, don't send me hate mail. But the reality is, Oval Office occupiers come and go, but one remains on the throne. And that's where we live. That's where we operate. So we need to be a prophetic voice. And lastly, we need to heed a prophetic voice. I'll wrap this up in my last 52 seconds here. Verse 25. Daniel comes in and he begins to interpret the writings on the wall. You ever hear the term, the writings on the wall? Usually it means something with doom. For example, the Detroit Lions. The message was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. It's verse 25. Many, many, Tekel, Parson. Daniel says, this is what those words mean. Mene, your number, it means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and he has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You've been weighed in the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. Why? Because... Verse 31, Darius the Mede took over the kingdom as they went under the wall through where the river was at and brought the kingdom to a fold. These words that were written on the wall, I believe need to be written on 
our hearts today. Because as much as we need to be prophetic voices in this world, we have to do it from a place where we have allowed God to deal with our hearts, to prepare our hearts. And the prophetic voice is the same yesterday as it was today. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Mene, your days have been numbered. I wrote, I wrote down really three specific statements that I want us to heed today because I think this word truly rings true to us as the, in the body of Christ. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. First of all, mene, God has numbered our days. Our days are numbered. What I wrote down was this. We have to have the proper perspective how we live life and how we operate in the empire that we live in, we have to have a proper perspective. Why? Because our days are numbered. We are not promised tomorrow. We have to live our days as if they're numbered because they are numbered. I don't know if some of you that have been with me for 11 years, we did a series called 30 Days to Live about 10 or 11 years ago. And I, and, and I had up here the number 1975 dash Blank. Why? Because I was born in 1975 and I talked about the dash and living our life before our death date. Our days are numbered. So we have to have a proper perspective. Why do we have to have Daniels? Because we can't wait for tomorrow to be a Daniel. God has given you a prophetic voice today. Secondly, tackle. Have the proper metrics. Have the proper metrics. Some of us have been weighing ourselves and measuring ourselves next to our friend that we've been watching on social media. We've been comparing ourselves with some other's life. I'll be honest, as a pastor, one thing that I struggle with is measuring myself with the other pastors or the other churches. And I watch it literally rob my joy and destroy my vision for the future. But when we weigh ourselves according to people and according to things, we lose what God has actually called us to be and to do. We have to have the proper measurements. And then lastly, Parson, we have to have the proper approach. The scripture says, that he was divided, your kingdom has been divided. My challenge to you is this, is have the proper approach. Do not live a life divided by the enemy. You know the best way to destroy your, your testimony is that be a Christian at the K first, but don't be a Christ follower everywhere else you go. We can't live divided lives. And we can't be prophetic voices if we only get into the prophetic here in these doors. The gifts of the spirit were not meant for us to have a great service, they were meant for us to have a great testimony. Because Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be what? You really have really snazzy services on Sundays. He says, you will have the Spirit so that you will be witnesses, prophetic voices. And I want to see the gifts of the Spirit like never before. And yes, I love them on Sunday mornings, but my dream is that we would begin to hear that signs and wonders are following those that choose to believe. That when you're in Walmart and you're walking by and God gives you a word for somebody, that when you're talking with somebody and you hear that they're sick, and you, instead of saying things like, well, I'll pray for you, man, you'll pray right there in the name of Jesus. And I believe that God can heal the sick. Then when you hear someone go through calamity, that man, because you've had the proper perspective and you've measured yourself with the proper metrics and you had the proper approach and when you hear someone go through hopelessness you get to you get to say hey can I instead of adding you to our prayer chain at the church can I just pray for you in this moment what can I do to help you in this moment God give us Daniels that could do more than take the temperature of the empire that we can be a people ready to give a prophetic word why because we live with the best perspective 
We live measuring ourselves next to nobody but Jesus Christ and letting him continue to raise the bar in our lives so that how we have the proper approach. We don't live for Jesus just on certain days of the week in certain moments that people would see the same Jesus in our lives here that they would see at school or they would see at the workplace or they would see at Meyer. And sometimes it's hard at Meyer to be like Jesus. Let's just be honest. Um, to be like Jesus in traffic and to be like Jesus um, at some marketplace or wherever we would find ourselves, that we would have an undivided life because how does the enemy destroy us? Division. God has brought us together. Jesus' prayer over the disciples is the same prayer over today. Let them be one as we are one. And so I'm praying that God would do the miraculous in your life. I want to pray for you. And my prayer would just simply be this. Lord, pour your spirit upon your people. That you would raise up not prophetic problem solvers, but prophetic solutionaries. I want to do more than recognize and fix a few things. God, help us to see the root of what's taking place and be able to stand for what's right and begin to speak into what's wrong. That God would raise up a revival through his people. If you're, if, if you're in this place, would you just bow your heads? If you're watching via Facebook Live, if you would just bow your heads and maybe get yourself in a posture of prayer. And what I like to do is I just like to hold out my hands in front of me like I'm ready to receive something. Could you do that in the house today? Could we just get ourselves in a posture of prayer? And say, Holy Spirit, right here, right now, just pour yourself into my life. Lord, what I pray over these individuals today is that you would pour your presence, Holy Spirit, that you would pour your presence into individuals here right now. Lord, I, I think of that song that we sang that says, Lord, help us, make us more aware of your presence. I pray right now that people will become more aware of your presence working in their life. That we would be a people that would rise up with a prophetic word that would encourage, that would strengthen, that would just begin to lift people up, God. That you would give us a thus saith the Lord. God, I pray that you would, Lord, send us into moments this week that could be a challenge, God. That, that, that could be a, 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 bit, a, bit of things, a, a bit of things that could maybe even cause a little bit of anxiety because, Lord, in our own flesh, we won't know what to do. But, Lord, what I do is I speak the spirit of the Lord upon individuals that they would go into situations like Daniel 5, and they'd be like Daniels. They would be ready to receive from you and ready to speak on your behalf, calling people to what you're wanting to do because we've got our eyes on the end of the story. We know what you want to do in and through us. And Lord, we need your spirit for that long walk in the same direction, that long walk of obedience. We need your presence. We need your strengthening. We need your giftings. We need your encouragement. We need a word, God as Daniel's in this world. Lord, we know the enemy has no final say here. And we know that because we've read the end of the story. And we know the end of the story. And we have faith in you that will carry us through to the end. And so, Lord, I pray a week like never before in our lives as you use us as prophetic solutionaries ready to bring faith, encouragement, consolation, and sometimes even confrontation 
that you would utilize us, God, to bring a word, to see those that are captive set free. We speak all of this in Jesus' name.